Hello all and welcome back to Darling Why. I'm Kate and this week we are talking about The Story of Your Life by Ted Chiang as well as the movie Arrival which is based on that story. We talk a lot about time, there are lots of impressions, we wax lyrical about Dune and what we hope from it. Um, If you do like this podcast and maybe want to hear more sci-fi hot takes in the future do give us a like and a follow and with that let's get to it. How do you feel about time? Time is like a resource that like no matter how much money you have you like can't buy more of. So like it's really deep. What a take on time. It's like the deep take that on time. That is actually not, I don't think it's that deep take, actually. I think it's quite a shallow take on time <laughs> compared to what we're going to talk about. That's the joke. Anyway, we're going to talk about time and sci-fi content today. Mm. Both yes, my, we are. Both my favourite and most hated of things that come up in sci-fi. What, time? And, yeah. And content? <laughs> um, I hate that I'm calling pieces of art content, but... That's that's you. This that's decade not me. I has ruined that. me. No, no, I didn't. I'm. I said it, and this decade has ruined me. Obviously, because that's how we refer to things now. Will you apologise to Chechen? <laughs> okay. So, like in sci-fi, it's usually time travel, I suppose, which this isn't really, but sort of is. Time travel sci-fi is a get. Like I say, my favourite type of sci-fi, but also my most hated type of. Sci-fi. It's the one I get the most. Hit up about you enraged. Do. I you've watched a lot of time based content yep. with me, and I get really annoyed about it. Yes, you do because you spend the whole time going, "The rules, it's it's important." <laughs> what are we going to do? Create a time paradox here? <laughs> and also, there's been so much time, like with because there's there's Loki and What If in the Marvel universe at the moment, which are kind of based on the concept of time in the multiverse. What if? Beautiful. <laughs> And I've been watching time-based content since I was a guest on the Time Machine, the remake, not the original. Is that the one with Samantha Mumba? Yes, it was the one with Samantha Mumba. Uh, when I was young, you know, you get sort of not quite time travel, but holodeck projections from Star Trek, that's the kind of a thing. Uh, history bounding sort of in a holodeck affairs. Mm-hmm. Um, just watched a lot of Doctor Who until I couldn't anymore. You know, I stuck with it as long as I could. The thing that frustrates me, like you say, I'm like, I'm fine with whatever layout of time you want to do, as long as you kind of stick with what you've set out in universe. Yeah. Even if it's mad, as long as you stick with it, it's cool. It's when people just start like making shit up halfway through. And I'm like, no, that would make a paradox. And I'm not even saying time has to be linear. It doesn't. But like... Stick with, with what, what you have. Created. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, that's my. This yeah. is what Louis has to listen to every time we watch a <laughs> show or movie. It's me going off on this paradox rant. But this is sort of not time travel because today we're talking about Story of Your Life by Ted Cheng, the movie that was based on it, which is Arrival. Yes. So you've seen Arrival. We watched it yes. together. To my knowledge, you haven't read the no. story I'm talking about. So it's technically a novella, I guess. Yeah. I have it in a book of short stories. So I sometimes think of it as a short, like a long short story. But it was originally released in 1998 and then came out in the collection I have in 2002. We'll kind of get into all of these bits, but the inspiration for Story of Your Life came from Ted Chiang's fascination in something called the variational principle in physics. Okay. 
which we will get into later. We'd, and I'll explain what that is and everything. Yeah. I'm gonna need it. Oh yeah. <laughs> Look, I used Wikipedia a lot for definitions and preparation for this. Thank you, Wikipedia, for all you do. But also, it's interesting because the story also looks a lot at like free will, dealing with the inevitable, uh-huh. and linguistics. Cheng spent five years researching the field of linguistics before even attempting to write this story. Yeah. Which I love. Look, I love some niche content. Mm. Um, I love some well-researched stuff. And uh, like most things, I often think that if I don't have an in-depth knowledge of something in such a way that like I can't pick out if there's like a, a, an inconsistency or a flaw, you know what yeah. I mean? I'll enjoy it a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, my knowledge of physics is pretty basic. As is mine. Yeah, like I did science up to the age of 15 and then I did chemistry and biology and just like fucked off physics. Nah, mate, didn't want it. Somewhere Professor Brian Cox is very sad. I watched actually, that that was my physics input. I watched a lot of Brian Cox shows. (laughs) Um, You know, got some Dara O'Brien physics content during that period of my life. And I don't know anything about like the field of linguistics. Yeah. And yet... There is something nice about... I was thinking about this, um, about some other stuff I've seen recently. This, I don't think that this story, and I also don't think the movie does this, like, it's introducing to the layperson, which I am, like, relatively complex principles and stuff. And, and it does explain it, I think, well enough for you to understand what's going on without talking down to you like you're a child trying to learn something. It, is it explained in the way that is often done in, like, films where, you know... The character, the character who knows the knowledge will say all the things in like all the correct words and terms, and then you're fucking I don't know the Rock, <laughs> for an example. We'll use Dwayne the Rock Johnson okay. to give him his full title. Sure. We'll say English. No, it's not done like that. Other variations include in English, please, and speak English. No, it's I see that I think is a bit like condescending to yes, be honest but that happens in oh it does oh, fuck me up and what I like about this story and this usually things in the story anyway getting explained is you have you have your main character Louise who's a, a linguist yeah. played by Amy Adams in the film yeah and you have uh, Gary who's a physicist who's played by Jeremy Renner in the film but is called Ian in the film for some reason but I'm going to call him Gary because I read the story in the la- this week and I saw the film a while ago <laughs> so Gary explains like physics concepts yeah. to Louise and she explains linguistic things because they're supposed to be working yes. together so it makes sense as to why they're explaining them but they're also like this is a smart person and if I use the right like analogy or metaphor they'll yeah. get it and, and it's nice because those things kind of feed into each other, you yeah. know what I mean? So his understanding or explanation of a physics concept helps her to understand the language problem at hand and vice versa and yeah. all those things. So um, I do really like that. And it was reminding me of, and it was one of those things that explains it in such a way that you're like, huh, maybe I'm into physics now? In the way that like, <laughs> you didn't watch this with me, but like, I watched all of the Queen's Gambit and I was like, am I really interested in chess now? <laughs> you know, it's just because the show is yeah. putting it in such a... Which I think is a really skillful thing to do. Because yeah. if you'd said to me, 
like I hadn't seen the trailer or anything you're like do you want to watch The Queen's Gambit it's about this girl who plays chess to be like no mate that sounds shit <laughs> and it was really really good but it, it kind of you know it shows that there is a skill to doing yeah. that kind of thing and I do think that story of your life and arrival yeah. do do that thing yeah. because in both of them it's a story about aliens yeah. it's a story about time yeah. but mainly it's a story about language yeah. and like I say dealing with the inevitable and free will yeah so like in both of them you more or less like very near the start in the setup all these alien ships come to earth yeah and like while obviously their communication with the aliens is a big part of the story yes what i like about the way it's done in the novella is it's very unspectacular uh-huh. so not that it's unremarkable but it's unspectacular. So one of what and, and the way I'll say this is there's the, the difference between the way they did it in the film and the story. It's in the story. So there's the the ships. Yeah. And there's way more of them come yeah. to Earth in the story as well. So it's, you know, there's like loads around America. There isn't just yeah. one. And they've put these kind of like looking glass type things on Earth. Yeah. And the army puts a tent around it. So they never go into the ship. Mm. They just go to this, essentially, this mirror. And the aliens have little screens that they do their writing on. And Amy Adams has her little screen that uh, Louise (laughs) has her little screen that she does the writings on. It almost feels, when you're reading it, like there's much less drama to it compared to in the movie, you know, they get suited up. They're going into the ship. They're going up to this kind of area. And I completely understand why the movie is that way. I am going to mainly talk about the story because I think it is my preferred form of the story at hand but just to speak to the the movie a little bit before i get more into like the concept of time the movie came out in 2016 and it was adapted by eric kaiser and directed by denis villeneuve which i did look up how to pronounce his name correctly i would have told you if you got it wrong so that's why I looked it up. I, I, I watched an interview with him on YouTube and yeah. he said something. Yeah. <laughs> but he did Prisoners, which we both agree yeah. slaps. Um, he did Blade Runner 2049, which mm-hmm. I haven't seen yet. And mm-hmm. he's and he did Dune, which is coming out soon. Very excited for it. Yeah. Uh, and he was nominated for Best Director for an Academy Award for Arrival. Yes. And it was nominated for eight Academy Awards. It also won the Ray Bradbury Award for Outstanding Dramatic Presentation and the Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation. Ted Chiang, who wrote the story, really approved of the film. So he said, I think it's the rarest of the rare in that it's both a good movie and a good adaptation. And when you consider the track record of adaptations of written science fiction, that's almost literally a miracle. Yeah. And I'll come back to that point about like adaptation a, a bit later. You, you do often see over the years authors not necessarily loving the film adaptation of their work. No, Roald Dahl famously hated the adaptation of The Witches. Alan Moore literally hates all them. adaptations. Oh, all of them, yeah. He hates all of them. Yeah. Pretty much. Like, yeah. You, you hear you, about people disliking yeah. shit more than you hear about them liking yeah. things. So I, I, do, I do like that he thinks it's... And I, I think it's a beautiful film. I think... Yeah. Anything I have seen by Denis Villeneuve is really beautiful to look at. And this was, you know, no exception to that. And I will talk a bit later about, like, the bigger plot differences. Yeah. What I did like, this is uh, just a bit of trivia I got on IMDb, is that the teams worked to create a fully functioning visual alien language for the movie, which I really enjoyed. And they put together this logogram, Bible, 
and suddenly one of them are actually featured in the movie. So I like that level yeah. of commitment. Mm. So for context, the language that the aliens use, they have two languages, heptapod A, which is their spoken language, and heptapod B, which is their written language. Not mm. differentiated in the film, but yeah. they do differentiate them in the story. And they find that the written language is kind of the more straightforward one to communicate with, yeah. given that they don't have a shared understanding of language. Yeah. Rather than having like words that are broken up into sentences the way that like English speakers would, there are these almost mandala like circular, visual written things with with shapes kind of coming off them. And they're um, certainly in the film like symmetrical, you know, there's a symmetry to them, and, and you have this kind of theme of symmetry that comes up again and again in the film, which is again slightly different to the way it's framed in the story. So I think the movie, even though, like I said, I think I prefer the novella. I think the movie is, as its own thing, really great. I think yeah. it did deserve all the accolades it got. It was fucking brilliant. It was a brilliant film. And I'll get into the reasons why I think I personally prefer the story, but I do think like both of these things are well worth your time. The story is only 60-ish pages. like You can get through it fairly quickly. The movie is two plus hours, but it doesn't drag. It's really beautiful to look at. Amy Adams is perfection in it. Um, really great performance from her. To, to kind of come back to the story itself. Like, there is something about the aliens, the heptopods. First of all, I think it was a really good choice to not make them humanoid aliens. Yeah, it would be stupid. I, and look, I love, look, I love Star Trek. I love Star Trek. Everyone's on fucking, everyone's, everyone's humanoid. humanoid. Yeah. Everyone's <laughs> a humanoid. But so many, like, even, even something like War of the Worlds, which is, they're more alien-y. Yeah. They're still kind of humanoid, though. Yeah. Like, these kind of small grey type aliens are still bipedal they're still whereas the heptopods are more like cephalopods they're they're more octopod almost yes and they have the way it's described in the story is that they essentially have like a barrel torso yeah that could be in any direction and has seven eyes around the the torso so any direction could technically be forward and they just sort of almost float along their limbs yeah. any of which could be an arm or a leg or yeah. whatever you want to want to think and so it is so like antithetical to the way we think about like humanoid type yeah. shapes and stuff it kind of adds to the sense of like how do we Interact. where do we even start yeah. in terms of interacting with it and it, it, it is like interesting to see the process of well if you don't have a shared language yeah. where do you start yeah. um and all those things. So I think giving it that sense of like distinctness, that like literal alienness from humanity, yeah. sets a really strong stage for it. Because the other thing that I thought was really interesting, you know, not just about the language, but the way that the motives of humans versus the aliens is kind of framed, which yeah. isn't a huge part of the story, but it did stick out to me. I think it's a bigger part of the story in the film. Yeah. And is is maybe less so in the in the in the story. But this idea that like, you know, obviously it's it's the army and it's various countries' militaries who are kind of you know, they they're the ones who've set up this interaction between yeah. like linguist and physicist to alien. Yeah. And the reason that they've done so is they're basically wanting to like either exchange information and kind of get like new tech from aliens yeah. um, or like and find out why they're here because they must be here for a reason and it yeah. must be to like a, you know whether it's to give a gift or to take over earth or but, yeah. like there must be a reason and there's such a um kind of the thinking behind it must be like there must be some sort of 
either commercial or like war-based motive yeah. for coming to this planet. Yeah. And it's very, and, and this is a big part of the story, it's very like cause and effect. Yeah. You, you did A, you came here, so therefore must, B. Must be B. And the way that the aliens are set up to think, like the way they view the world and it kind of gets explored through the way they communicate with, you know, Louise and the story, doesn't fit with that either. No. It doesn't fit with this Not idea of cause and effect. No. <laughs> nope. <laughs> That's where the concept of time comes in. Mm-hmm. And what I really like about this, the way that time is explored in the story, is that it's never actually time travel. No. And therefore, it's almost impossible for me to get annoyed about it because you can't break rules because you're not actually moving through time. You're just experiencing time in a different way. And I thought that was really interesting and something I hadn't really seen amongst all the Siffy content that I've just ingested over the years. And I love sci-fi. I think it's like maybe my favourite genre of content. And I, I hadn't really come across this way of thinking about time or what foreknowledge means yeah and it's something that really like as a story and as a movie it really sticks with you the kind of the questions that it raises that it doesn't necessarily answer which i think is fine because i don't think art necessarily needs to answer a question it can just kind of leave things with you to percolate on you know the way that that is set up throughout the story which i do think was nicely done visually in the film in the story you have a lot of like as louise becomes more aware and inside the way the heptapods think and perceive time you see more of like playing with tenses yes so like one line i just pulled out but this is throughout the whole thing is like i remember a conversation we'll have when you're in junior high junior year of high school so there's a lot of like i remember when future tense yes um and mixing in between like present tense future tense and past tense yeah so when talking about her experience speaking with the heptapods that's all in the past tense because obviously before she worked with them she didn't have this perception of time and because she had her daughter after the heptapods all of her interactions with her daughter are thought about through this new lens of time yeah i mean there is this nice symmetry to the story and to the film like it starts and ends with well i can't remember if it's the birth of her daughter in the film but in the in the story it's the conception of her daughter like it yeah. both starts and ends with that yeah and then throughout it you have these you have the story of uh louise and gary working with the heptapods and then you have these snippets of her daughter's life and raising yeah. her daughter and they're out of order completely yeah so you have like preconception 25 yeah. 6 high school yeah it's non-sequential which i think is really endearing from like you know from just a dramatic point of view and reading the story or not you don't want to reveal everything in the first page but also in just becoming aware of how louise is supposed to be perceiving her own memories yeah because it was not necessarily spoiler but like the way it kind of turns out in the end yeah it's that all her memories are being experienced at once yeah it is framed slightly different in the film and I'll, i'll i'll break that down a bit in a bit but she is able to perceive all her memories, future and past yeah. at once. And this kind of brings up the linguistic side of the exploration of it, which is in proper terms called the Sacker-Whorf hypothesis or yeah. linguistic relativity. And which is, according to Wikipedia, the, this principle suggests that the structure of a language affects its speaker's worldview or cognition. 
Okay. So some of the real world examples it gave was that if you speak a language that doesn't necessarily like have tenses, people tend to think about the world in a more sort of maybe long view. Like there's lower rates of smoking, there's lower rates of like, what well, you know, kind of what would be short term pleasure, but long term damage. Okay. Which is really interesting. In this story, the idea is that as she learns how these like semigrams, this written language works, and how they're formed, she becomes more aware of the worldview of the heptapods that created that language. Yeah. So human language is, like I say, sequential, it's cause and effect, one yeah. word follows another. Whereas, because the semigrams are like, you, you, you know where you're going to end before you start. Yes. Your, your viewpoint changes. Yes. And obviously this is sci-fi. Yeah. And the people uh, people who study that kind of linguistics is like, yeah, no, that wouldn't happen. It's, that's yeah. too far. But it's, it's an interesting concept to explore and kind of bring to a kind of an extreme conclusion. Yeah. So like linguistics is one lens through which you are thinking about worldview and time. Yeah. And then the other one is physics. So you kind of get like Louise's expertise and Gary's expertise. And the main physics principle that is kind of central to the story is something called Fermat's principle which is to do with the refraction of light so visually and I do put like a little diagram in the story it's basically like when light hits water it refracts to a different angle right Fermat's principle is trying to explain that phenomenon okay and there is a much more like complex explanation that I'm not going to get into yeah because I barely understand it yeah, you need I'm to get as simple as possible. I'm just going to state the principle as it's relevant to the story, but I also didn't want physics yeah. lads coming at me being like, oh, that's not how physics works. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> Brian Cox is going to be so disappointed here. Do you know what he'll do? Friend of the pod. Friend Brian of the pod, Cox. Brian Cox. <laughs> Tell you what he'll do. He'll reform fucking Dream. Nice, amazing. <laughs> he'll reform them, but he won't play things to kind of get better. He'll make you play all his other songs, but he won't play the one you actually want to hear because that's the cruelest punishment it could possibly happen. Things won't get better. Wow, okay. <laughs> that's what he'll do. That's how upset he'll get. Oh, well, anyway, would you like to hear the one-sentence definition from Encyclopedia Britannica? Yes. Fermat's principle is that the path taken by a ray of light when it's travelling between two points requires either a minimum or a maximum time. So it's either going to go the shortest distance it can go, the fastest way it can go, or the longest. Okay. And that's why it's a variational principle. Okay. If you just focus on the shortest time, that's sequential. Yeah. If you're looking, and that's how humans, the way the story frames is like, that's how humans think. A happens, therefore B. Okay. Whereas the way the heptapods think is integral. So they're thinking in both the minimal and maximal time. So the reason it comes up is because they're trying to like, they're trying to, you know, they get to a point of speaking with the heptapods and they're like, we got to get into science, mate. We got to get that tech conversation started. And they keep showing them these scientific principles and it's like, you know, talking to to the wall, nothing's going through. And they show them like Fermat's principle and then they like there's a, a bridge they understand yeah. and they're confused because like the heptapods think about things integrally rather than sequentially yeah but there's a, a point of like okay we experience the universe in the same we're experiencing the same universe yeah but the lens is different and the way it links into the language then 
is that I'll quote I'll quote part of the story because I think it explains it better than I could. So it explains that humans look at things in the sequential way. Yeah. A, a, a happens, therefore B. Um, and then it says, quote, by viewing events over a period of time, one recognised that there was a requirement that needed to be satisfied, a goal of minimising or maximising. And one had to know the initial and final states to meet that goal. One needed knowledge of the effects before the causes could be initiated. And that's how the heptopods think. So Okay. You need to know where you're going before you start. Uh-huh. Because if you want to go the shortest direction to a place, you need to know where you're going. Yeah. So that's kind of the setup for how the heptopods think and also how they think through time. So yeah. the idea being that humans experience time so a sequential fashion, whereas the heptopods experience time simultaneously. Yeah. They experience all of time at mm. once. And, and, and how this then links in is if you look at things in, in that kind of human lens, you, you have this idea of free will. I can yeah. make a choice. I'm at A, I can go the path to the left or I can go to the path to the right. Whereas because the heptopods see what the end is going to be, there's this idea, okay, well, does free will exist? Could you just choose to do the other thing? And that's kind of the, the tension at play with that question and it does come up later in the story like as Louise gets more of a sense of that view where she kind of has this memory she's out in like the supermarket with Gary Gainster for dinner and she has this memory of her six-year-old daughter dropping a bowl yeah and she then sees the same bowl like in in her present in the shop and she explains it as like it's not necessarily a choice to buy it, but it's yeah. almost like an impulse. So as if something was falling and you just kind of reached out to yeah. grab it. Yeah. You're not being forced to do that, but you're also not necessarily choosing to yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's an impulse. Yeah. And I thought that was like that's an interesting middle ground yeah. to find there. Like once you are aware of the future, almost like, well, of course it's gonna turn out this way. Yeah. Like why would you deviate from yeah. the path? Which is again very sort of like antithetical to how we think about kind of choice and free will and things. And that interested me. Like I don't again, I don't think it necessarily answers the question, but it certainly certainly raises it. Yeah. And gives some semblance of like, well, this is how you could think about it, which yeah. I which I thought was really engaging. Mm. What's interesting about the difference between the way the movie and the story handle this? So firstly, I think it's that the story is 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 more observational yeah. in that regard. Like Louise explaining this shift, and it's it's more of a yeah, like a, a view of that type of thing. Whereas in the movie, there is a conflict, and she therefore uses this skill to resolve the conflict yeah like in the story you don't have any of this the country stop talking to each other and yeah. maybe we're going to start a war yeah um if something doesn't happen yeah uh in the book the aliens just leave yeah and no one knows where they came and no one knows why they went mm. and those people who learned the heptopod language just live like that now yeah with this new lens and it's more the story of well, you know, and, and it happens in the movie and the book, like her daughter, she knows when her daughter is going to die. Yeah. Different reasons in the film and the book. She knows when her daughter is going to die. So you could make the argument if she knows that before her daughter is born, she could choose not to get pregnant. Yeah. And go through all that pain and stuff. And that's kind of, to me, that's more the heart of the novella. Yeah. The aliens, the language, all of that things is just to explore what hap- What do you do when you know there's going to be this terrible end? Whereas there is more of a, and that does happen in the movie, but there is, I think there is more of like, 
what what you the kind of plot structure you need for a movie. Yeah. Where you do kind of need a piece of high conflict that needs resolution. Yeah. To drive it forward. But, but yeah, the way the film does things is nice. Like, um, Louise's daughter has a name in the film. It's Hannah. And she tells her, well, I named you that because it's a palindrome. Yeah. Um, someone on IMD pointed Bloody out language that... language nerds. <laughs> someone on IMD pointed out the violin melody in the last sequence is also palindromic. So you have this kind of, like, very symmetrical, spherical yeah. sense of time yeah. in the film. They do keep... And, and probably just for the sake of, like... Uh, understandable storytelling yeah. in the film there is still sort of a sequential causal nature to things in yeah. that Amy Adams' character isn't experiencing all her memories at once yeah. they are kind of coming to her in a sequence and she's yeah. getting more and more as time goes on whereas that's not necessarily it is more simultaneous yeah. in the novella but ultimately you do have this sense of having a clear cause and effect all at once so but because you know what the effect is going to be that drives the cause rather yeah. than the reverse and so yeah in the movie like her her memories of the future kind of come in an order that is convenient to the plot yeah <laughs> and kind of drive the plot forward whereas yeah it's it kind of holds more to that variational simultaneous sense yes in the novella and i think coming to the end of my my, my thoughts about this i think yeah. part of why i like the novella more is I mean there's part of me I, I, I really enjoy certainly when I'm reading things I think the short story slash novella is my favourite kind of form for fiction to take why um, am I allowed to ask oh yeah I'm just not sure if I can articulate it super clearly um, <laughs> but there is like you know in a something like a novel is more like a film like you kind of do need that similar structure Okay. You know, not necessarily like a hero's journey, but something, you know, you have a setup, you have a conflict, you have a resolution. Yeah. And you can have that on a mini scale in a short story, but a short story is much more of a snapshot of, you know, a much shorter period of time and can be much more focused in. It's almost, to me, it's almost like more potent. Yeah. And I, you know, I think obviously different writers have different styles of doing this but i i do like these kind of like almost bite sized compared to say like you know a 400 page novel or something yeah i do like these like bite sized bits of whether it's um you know a commentary or uh, a particular exploration of like emotion or philosophy or whatever it is yeah it's very i mean contained is the wrong word because things aren't always wrapped up yeah but it's again, yeah. I suppose a snapshot is the is the best way to describe it. Mm. It is it is always interesting to me when like short stories get turned into films because I do think structurally they're very different. Yeah, I, I can understand more when like a novel gets turned into a film uh-huh. because there are like lots of short stories that I really think you could like never adapt. Yeah, but as a short story. Like, it's almost like there isn't enough in them to make a film, you know? You have to add things. Yeah, you always have to add things. I mean, you ha- I of mean course. obviously you had to... They they have obviously yeah. add, added a shitload to make Arrival yeah. because 60 pages isn't even a feature. Like, 60 pages in any format is not a feature-length no, script. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And you would have... Like I say, I don't think it works as a film if you were no. very purist about it. I don't think that's it would not how that's not how films are structured. No, but I also think that even if films were structured in a way that you could literally replicate like the the book the story beat for beat, mm-hmm. the way that you describe Louise's um experience at the time, I don't think you could visually portray that on screen without actually yeah. making any sense. And like I do think 
Like, yeah. I do think the way they did it in the film is as close as I can imagine. You yes, get you have to sense. do it in that way, otherwise, yeah, otherwise to, the audience yeah. literally can't follow it. Yeah. Because, you know, it, it would just be too much because you also, you can't visually depict yeah. that. You can't visually depict literally yeah. experience it. it, it it's well, not... it's, I suppose in in the story you don't necessarily like get all. There's a mo- there there are sometimes she describes that like she has experienced moments where it all hits her at once. Yeah. But it's more that you don't think she's only getting them as she's describing them. Yeah. You kind of because she's in the in the novella what she's doing is she's talking to sort of, you know, whether it's her actual daughter or, like the memory of her daughter. Yeah. So even though she's telling the story in sequence because, you know, we still experience yeah. time as sequence, you, you get the sense that she has all those memories there uh-huh. already rather yeah. than in the movie. It's very clear that like, okay, I, I don't I don't have this knowledge. Something happens now. I do have this knowledge. Yeah. Like it's coming in sequence yeah. rather than just being told in sequence. Yeah. So I do I do really just enjoy that short form format. Yeah. Just broadly speaking. Uh, and you know, maybe I'll talk about other short stories in the future because yeah. I do really like it as a form and I've consumed so many of them. Over you like the being given half the sandwich, you want to find the rest. You don't be given the whole sandwich. I suppose not not even that, because I think some things like with some short stories I think you could probably expand them into a novel and then some just are what they are. Like they're you know, they're um Nouveau cuisine, you know. <laughs> They're perfect just the way they are. Small bites. Small plates. They're small plates, you know? Like I think sci fi as well. Most of the I haven't so I haven't read the source material for like every piece of like sci fi material in like like you know, films and T V shows mm. that I've I've watched. So like I've watched Total Recall. I haven't read the source material. But I do know that there are big differences between them. Oh yeah, the title's one of them. Well, the title's one of them. Yeah. Well, all, here's the thing with yeah. Philip K. Dick. The title's always different. Yeah. And he's like, that's fine. Yeah. I don't like titles. I don't, I'm bad at titles. Yeah. I'm not an advertising man. No. Bad at titles. Similarly, I know the dif- there's a big difference between like Blade Runner and Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. Yes. So I, when I was thinking about this, I was mainly thinking about Philip K. Dick. Just because so much of his work has been translated to the screen in some fashion yeah but there is all there are always differences yeah I, I am interested to see like that's part of what makes me interested in seeing dune is to see how they translate you just want to see that. the fucking sandworm i do want to see the sandworm, but with 21st century visual effects yeah not 80s absolutely yeah oh like, you want to see timothy chalamet ride a sandworm well, I, I think part of me wants to go back and watch the the '80s one and rewatch Colin McLaughlin ride a sandworm. Um, now that I have I a better, so much internal narration. Oh, it's so good. Just do a big series on Dune, like you know. <laughs> Haven't even read Dune. That's the greatest bit of it all. Haven't read the book yet, That's Louis. It's just right there on the shelf. Haven't read it yet. Have I listened to a whole twelve episode podcast about the entire series of books? Yes, I have. <laughs> have I read any of the books? No. <laughs> but I think there is something in sci-fi that, and I, I'm aware that like most fiction, if it's translated to the screen, there are changes made. But I think there are much, there are some very true adaptations, and some that veer a lot more. And that's not always a bad thing. It just ha- yeah. it, what needs to be done. Yeah, to make it's it work for the a lot of the time. It will be, for example, characters like characters that will be in a novel for literally one line would either just be cut or their lines or purpose will be composite into another yeah. character it's, it's often com- yeah. compositing things down yeah some people don't seem to get this 
and they just it, it seems to just offend them when you know a two hour movie does not cover the same beats as a 750 page fucking novel yeah because that ain't gonna happen yeah <laughs> it's funny I do think that Sorry, there is nerds. more <laughs> there is more of a taste these days to break things up into more if they're big enough let's say because like I think the fact that they made The Hobbit into three movies rather than just I'm not I haven't seen yeah. them but I'm saying there's more of a taste to split a long book up into several movies whereas obviously when Lord of the Rings was coming out they were just like one book one movie and they're thick boys each book mm-hmm. you you could make and I know they're very long movies you probably could have made even more <laughs> from that yeah. I'm not saying you should I'm saying oh, you yeah. could but I think there is more of a, a taste to break things up yeah. now in the way that like this Doom movie doesn't even cover the whole first book to my no. knowledge do you know what I mean so like there's to cover the whole first book in one movie would just be pointless it would be yeah. it's too big it's too big it would it's just too be, it would be t- and also it would be too it would just be like it would feel too much like a an exact remake of yeah. well I say remake it would feel too close to the studio hacked to bits David Lynch one yeah yeah it is interesting because people keep trying to make Doom and it no one has really hit, I mean, we're hit obviously, it right yet. Are you aware of the um, Jodorowsky's Dune? Yes. Yeah, you, that's, I'm aware. that's fucking mad. Like, have you seen that documentary? It's I fucking mad. Them. I'm aware Some of Some of the ideas that potentially were going to happen are yeah. genuinely insane. And I, I mean, maybe that's why with, with sci-fi you do have to maybe make more changes because so much of it is ideas yeah. rather than just straight plot. Yeah. There's so much kind of conceptual... Yeah. things going on which really do work on the page I think yeah. but don't necessarily work with film unless you add more plot in to drive it forward yeah. otherwise you just have these big exposition dumps and honestly like that's tired that gets very tiresome Yeah. <laughs> or, to, or to refer back to Dune again these just long internal monologues where people's lips aren't moving for Basically, a very yeah, long time on screen just directly adapting yeah. all the internal monologues from the novel exactly. which don't work on screen yeah it's it's fun. It's a lot of fun. This is a Harkonnen animal. <laughs> Sorry, that's my Patrick Stewart impression. The podcast. Patrick Stewart in sci-fi is just... Mwah. Patrick Stewart in comic books and sci-fi is perfection. Um, I've seen him in things that aren't those two things. That fucking line about love play. Oh, I had repressed that and now it's back in my life. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that. I don't know what else. What else do you need to repress? Uh, Sting and his little ginger panties, his no, blue panties. I, I haven't. I haven't repressed. I could, that that's too strong to even repress. I love how this has just turned into a Doom podcast. Well, he's certainly walking on the moon in that film. Oh, you love yourself for that line, don't you? No, we're <laughs> so so smug. <laughs> Frankly, if Monsieur Villeneuve hasn't adapted that exact scene, he hasn't just. You're gonna be horrified. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm. I mean, the absolute nerd in me would like to see um, some sort of thing being brought together where, you know, you have Daniel Villeneuve interview David Lynch. Oh, nice. I would say interview fucking Dino De Laurentiis, but I believe he's dead. He's a producer yeah. um, of, the, of the 1984 movie. He was a character, yeah. let's just say. We all know David Lynch doesn't want to be associated with that movie. <laughs> he took his name off it. <laughs> I don't want to be associated with that movie. Have a great day. Goodbye. That's my David Lynch impression for the day. Very good. Have you been watching his weather 
throughout the pandemic. Then. It's a beautiful day in Los Angeles. <laughs> beautiful. Loved it. It's a cool 70 degrees. <laughs> I'll start with the impressions. I promise. <laughs> or do I? You, you never will. You never will. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that was my ramble about time. Like, basically, sci-fi is good. Read the story of your life and watch Arrival. They're all great. Yeah. Sci-fi is great. Be a fucking nerd. Yeah. Amy Adams is great. And Jeremy Renner is also in the film. <laughs> now nah, that was just me. You coming for Renner? <laughs> nah, that was just me being a bit of a penis. He's perfect. He's, he's, yeah, he's fine in the movie. He's better in this than he is in quite a few things. Partly yeah, because, I thought he was quite good in this. You know, he's clearly been directed properly and yeah. he's actually doing a good performance. Yeah, I thought this was a good performance. You know, like he's not been the greatest in everything, but again, when you've got a good director, mm. good things can happen. Whereas Amy Adams is great in everything. No, yeah, she is. She's perfect in everything. Yeah, she really is. Enchanted? Doubt. They're all completely different. I, I hate thing. Enchanted, but she completely nails the role. She's really good in Enchanted. Oh, yeah, I, just I really hate like that Enchanted. Movie. I completely understand why you don't. Yeah. Um, she was great in Doubt. <laughs> Loved Doubt. I think I saw that movie maybe too young, but still. She's even really good in Man of Steel. Which I almost refuse to see because I don't like Superman <laughs> um, maybe I will watch it you, maybe I will watch it someday, I'm telling so. you Michael Shannon in that see, movie yeah, alone that does draw me in your fucking head will explode Michael when you Shannon see Michael Shannon's performance in. in that it's like I say it's not just eating the scenery it's devouring it fucking seasoning it very well salt pepper herbs a little coolie on the side not coolie sorry a little jus, a little jus. A tomato <laughs> reduction as it were that yeah. is how he's eating the scenery. He, like a... He's eating it good. And on that note, we've really tangented off the point. So uh, we'll finish it up there for this time. Do you know what you're going to talk about next time? <laughs> oh, yes. So we are, ironically, staying somewhat in the sci fi realm. I'm going to be rambling on about the 2019 science fiction RPG, The Outer Worlds. Nice. Bye. Goodbye. You were listening to the Darling Why podcast presented by Louis Tangaridis and Kate Stewart. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to give us a follow at Darling Why Podcast on Instagram. Feel free to rate and subscribe on whatever podcast feed you're listening to. This podcast is produced, edited and put together entirely by Louis Tangaridis and Kate Stewart. Thanks for listening. See you next time.